Spotify, the latest to be hit with staff cuts across its global business. Also on this episode, Elon Musk tells advertisers what he really thinks, and we look into the International Cricket Council's new deal with Amazon Prime. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast, the discussion of everything under Australia's media and marketing umbrella. I'm your host, Neil Griffiths, the editor of Mumbrella, and joined, as always, by Mumbrella publisher Adam Lang. Hello, Neil. And I mean, at this point, like a guest contributor, deputy editor Nathan Jolly. Thanks for coming by, man. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you here, Nathan. Um, this is technically going to be the, the last, I guess, live episode of the Mumbrella Cast. By that, I mean... We're talking about the hot topics of the week. Next week will be the final show of the year where we're going to dig deep into the biggest stories of the year. Top 15, I believe, Adam. And what a year it's been, Neil. 15, of course, because Mumbrella has turned 15 and we want to celebrate that. But also because there are so many good stories. It's going to be hard to even keep it to 15. Mm. Um, but it, it's it's Wednesday and that means it's, it's another big news week or news day. So on Tuesday, uh, Spotify announced some staff cuts in a statement shared online uh, and a a statement shared with staff. CEO Daniel Eck confirmed that 17% of the organization's total headcount were being let go. Again, this is one that's being attributed to the current economic state. So Adam, last week, we, I think we covered more cuts coming in Australia through private media. We spoke a little bit about CHEP, about WPP, now Spotify. Again, 17% of the organisation. We understand that there will be some in Australia who are being let go. Um, the local PR said they couldn't elaborate on Daniel X's statement. Straight off the bat, your thoughts on this? That's right, Neil. Speculation is that the tally is for 1,500 jobs to be removed from Spotify, and that is in an enormous amount. 17% sounds like one figure, but 1,500 jobs sounds like another and each of them is important, particularly to those individuals and, and to the company, how they're going to adjust around that missing staff quota that was used to doing things in a certain way. So it's a big change for Spotify. And I'm sure for all of us, I'm a Spotify subscriber. I think it's a very, very clever piece of software. And I love music. So I use it a lot. So does my whole family. And the way we've used it, I wonder if that'll change. You know, will we be able to find the Australian select lists that we might be used to? You know, the indie music or new music that might come up that people curate and and prompt to me. Um, we'll see what changes have to be made. But, it, you know, I don't think it's a it's a tough business call. They've obviously made it because they need to. And we'll see how services are impacted and what they have to do to change and absorb that. We discussed last week how scary the current climate is with what's going on. Is it surprising to you that a giant like Spotify, when we say giant, I mean, they can afford to give Joe Rogan $300 million. Even they are affected by what's going on right now. That's scarier than first thought, is it not? Yeah, and I guess the context of that Joe Rogan decision, it's different now, right? They embarked on a path of original content, particularly with podcasting, investing in them and owning them. Um, They're changing that strategy. Uh, so we'll see what what happens with podcasting and big deals like that. We'll see what happens with the way they acquire music and reward recording artists and songwriters. So it is uh, it's fascinating how they're grappling with competition, but it just shows, doesn't it, that nothing is static. So what Apple might offer one year might be different the next year. What Amazon, Google might offer is changing. The competitive landscape changes all the time. And it's not just the economic landscape that's coming to bear here but the, the competitor landscape as well and to see how they're going to adapt to that. So, look, it, it is a sign of the times. 
Uh, it's a sign of competition and a sign of economic pressure. I want to come back to the podcast side in a second, but Nate, we were talking in the newsroom this morning and I mentioned to you that revered singer-songwriter, Mr. Weird Al Yankovic, he went to social media to complain that he only got $12 from 80 million plus streams. I was pretty shocked by that and you were kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty standard. Yeah, I'm not surprised by that. Like he came up through the major labels, so he owes a lot of money on past things like, you know, expensive film clips, advances to record records. Like he would be one of those artists that's still paying off decisions that were made on his behalf in the 90s. So once the money comes from the streaming, through the label, through the various management, everyone that takes their little cut, yeah, not surprised that he's got not enough to buy his lasagna. Sorry, that was just a... <laughs> well, it's a good weird lasagna. Al, weird, weird alcohol, yeah. When we go back to the podcast side of things then, uh, uh, you can check it out on mumbrella.com.au. Khalil Welsh actually did an interview with Spotify podcast account director for JPAC, Sam Moles, who confirmed that platform exclusivity will no longer be a priority for the business. Going back to the stuff about Joe Rogan there, when you have $300 million to throw at someone like Joe Rogan, but you aren't paying your artists enough, do these cuts surprise you? I mean, no. It, the whole Spotify thing seems like an unsustainable business model. Like the money's got to come from somewhere. And I mean, people are paying, how much is the subscription? $12 these days for a month? It's something around that. Anyway, that's, that seems like a very tiny amount of money to spend for the entire history of recorded music. And so I don't know where the, like how the financials shake out for it. But yeah, on top of that, like the insulting royalty rates they pay, all the complaints for them to go and throw hundreds of millions of dollars at podcasts seems like a bad move in terms of optics, but also just a terrible financial decision. People don't pay for podcasts. People did once pay for music. Mm. It's kind of like the complete flip of the model. And the fact that they're not putting exclusivity on podcasts anymore, what does that tell you? Yeah, it seems insane. Like they had Dax Shepard as well, who mm. was another big podcaster who was exclusively on Spotify for a while, and that's also moved off it. They did a deal with The Ringer, who have a whole network of kind of sporting and pop culture podcasts. They were never officially, like, exclusively on Spotify. Their deal had them across all the other podcasting platforms, and their business has grown. They are actually a success story, and they folded Bill Simmons into their exec team just because it was performing so well. So maybe one of those kind of – they seem to have struck the – balance between they own it they own the like the company and the rights and stuff but why would you limit distribution to just your platform if you mm. owned it it seems silly it's like having a house brand you know Kmart crockery pot and then being offered distribution in big w and targets and going no this is just just for us like it doesn't make sense if you're trying to sell that pot to as many people as possible and when we talk about like weird al is not the first artist to to come at spotify about about royalty pay. I mean, we, we mentioned this morning, we go back to the early 2000s when Metallica went at Napster. I think that was probably the first time that an artist looked back and said, hang on a second, this is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you can go back even further and see like David Crosby and Frank Zappa whinging about their royalty rates. I'm sure it's a tale as old as time, to quote my Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> but it's like Neil Young pulled his stuff off Spotify yeah, still hasn't, that. yeah, and yeah. Joni Mitchell also still doesn't have her catalogue on. I think you'll start seeing a lot of those big hitters. I'm actually surprised that there wasn't a big follow-on from Neil Young when he did that. Like, Because if you lose the Beatles, you lose Bob Dylan, you lose 
let's say the doors, you, the yeah, the doors, yeah, all those big kind of Tay-tay. swinging, yeah, the catalog artists. If you lose all those, then immediately the entire platform is kind of devalued because the whole point of going on Spotify is you can just type in, you know, tainted love soft sell and you know it's going to be there. But not if certain artists pull their catalogs and then smaller ones follow. It is built on kind of borrowed IP. Mm. Okay, Adam, I'll come to you for the the seasoned veteran comment now. <laughs> we, we talk about the them moving away from podcasts despite really investing all their money and time in podcasts, but now we're talking about these cuts. This is the quote from Daniel Ek in his statement yesterday. The Spotify of tomorrow must be defined by being relentlessly resourceful in the ways we operate, innovate, and tackle problems. This kind of resourcefulness transcends the basic definition. It's about preparing for our next phase where being lean is not just an option but a necessity. What does that mean? Well, I think it's kind of a truism of all all the time of all business. You've got to operate efficiently. You've got to operate profitably. And that is something that's been a battle for Spotify since it's forming. So I think the, the interesting thing amongst this too is not just the subscriptions, but if we look at Netflix or visual streamers as well as music streamers, how they're using advertising to support different business models. So by way of example, you can subscribe and typically those subscriptions, like when Foxtel first came out, it had no ads and then ads came in. And so you knew that part of your subscription was subs being subsidised by advertising and then they got different pricing models. So right now you can buy a different pricing model on different platforms if you're willing to accept advertising. And I think that's true of this evolution for Spotify. I think they have to look at their price point. I think they do have a business model challenge and they do have to look at their price point of going, okay, for no ads, you get this. For some ads, you get that. And we've seen what Netflix has done in the last couple of years with that. They've shown that there is a market for people who are willing to pay less and accept advertising. And there is a market for people who are willing to pay more and and wish for no advertising at all. So we'll see how those different models and pricing points come out. I think that's really one to watch. I think that that really is where this is going to play out. Yeah, well, keep an eye on mumbrella.com.au for all the details. Again, you can read the story online. You can see the interview with Sam Moles. Or if you want something more fun, you can check out the CML edition of Spotify Wrapped. There's a couple of good ones in there that you like, Nath. Yeah, some guy whose entire top 10. So Spotify Wrapped, just to say quickly, is the top 10 songs that you played on Spotify for the year. And so he asked a bunch of CMOs. One of the guys is just filled with Wiggles hits. And <laughs> I think there was a song called Poo Bum Poo Bum or something in his top 10. So... Did the kids get hold of his phone? <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess it's just the latest babysitting tool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, moving on to another big story that happened in the last week. Elon Musk. This is probably the first time we've spoken about Elon Musk, at least my time on this show, Adam. Um, I'm sure everyone's seen the news. Uh, I'll, I'll hand it over to Nathan in a second. Basically, the big, the big line that made news headlines was he told advertisers who were threatening to boycott X, can we swear, Adam? You are the boss Explicit here. lyrics warning coming. Yep. Thank you. He said, go fuck yourself. Over to you, Nathan. Yes, that was his message to all the advertisers that had boycotted the platform. He also said that they will be responsible for killing off X slash Twitter and not him. So they boycotted because he platformed, however you want to say, these anti-Semitic remarks and added his own commentary basically saying this is true. It's like, read this. And obviously... People did not like that. And so there were big companies like Disney was the biggest one, pulled their advertising. Walgreens have since done it. Walmart, like all these kind of huge American corporations. Apple also have pulled their advertising. 
And obviously that's an issue for a platform that relies upon advertising to make a profit. And he seems to think that when it all comes down to it, his actual quote was, let's see how Earth responds to that. And so he thinks the Earthlings of our fair planet will be judging this as a failure of Disney and Apple and all the big corporations and that they're the ones that have strangled X. And he seems to think that he will be kind of get off scot-free and people will think that this is a free speech issue and not just one maniac buying a company and drilling it into the earth. Mm. So let's pause there for a second because, you know, Elon Musk has been getting a lot of criticism lately, especially when he took over X. Adam, is he still in his genius phase or are we now (laughs) seeing the Elon Musk rogue stage where he's really just talking off the cuff? And again, the the line there, let's see what Earth thinks about this. Yes. It's unsettling. It actually was for me unsettling to watch because I read Nathan's article and I I watched the video. It's a bit disturbing Mm. Now, let's just park that for a moment and, and go with the content of what he said. He clearly is both genius and rogue, right? Because some of the things he's achieved are spectacular. Some of the things he says are equally spectacular, but perhaps for different reasons. And so the way he's treating advertisers, this is a media platform, right? And so to understand that the media platform that he's involved in, if he's swimming around in that X commentary and people who love what he does, there's high risk of just surrounding yourself with compliments. People who believe what you say, you boil in that soup and you think you're right. And unfortunately, he's just not appreciating the context of people outside X who go, this is crazy. There is such brand risk associated with being an advertiser on X that if you are Disney or Walmart, it really is something you have to seriously consider is remove your advertising from that platform because much of the content is unmoderated and high, high risk. So, yeah, you can go as a media platform. I think for many of us in this, you know, listening to this Mumbrella cast, trading in this industry, it's just normal to accept. Of course, there's risk, you know, and we accept as advertisers and media platforms that there is a risk appetite that we must adhere to, and in there lies commercial models. He doesn't seem to need that. He doesn't seem to need the commercial advertisers in his mind, but the business model does, and it, it to me is. It's a statement of logic, right, to say that, well, if the advertisers don't support it, they will have killed it. Yeah, but there's a set of reasons for those decisions <laughs> which are all his. So in 2023, we've seen Elon Musk be such a gift to media. He has given us so many stories. Mm. Uh, it's been spectacular. But on this one, I, I think he's proving what he's known is this is an advertiser-funded model. You don't look after your clients, your customers. You have no business model. And so I will see that one will follow, you know, that if he doesn't change his path, that this will happen. And it's the recklessness of it as well. He literally says, let the chips fall where they may, mm. which is such a Bond villain thing to say. <laughs> but, but just the fact that he's going, we'll see. We will see how Earth responds. Well, on that note, despite what you might personally feel about him, Nath, yeah, you actually wrote this last weekend's Weekend Mumbo and you said he might have been right about something now. Park the go F yourself line. You said there was something he actually said that had some merit. Yeah. Tell tell us about it. So I wrote the first ever positive article about (laughs) Elon Musk (laughs) with a direct quote. Um, So he basically, towards the end of that big five-minute rant, which was part of a longer 90-minute rant, by the way, we should mention this happened at the New York Times Deal Book Summit. He was on stage getting interviewed, and that's when he made these comments. 
And he said, Tesla currently sells twice as much in terms of electric vehicles than the rest of the electric car makers in the United States combined. Tesla's done more to help the environment than all other companies combined. Now, here's his leap. He goes, it would be fair to say, therefore, that as a leader of the company, I've done more for the environment than any single human on earth. Which is like, that's a Trump tweet right there. Yeah. 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 I mean, he has a point with that, but that's not even the larger point he made. Like, because the guy goes, that was interviewing him, Sorkin, he said, what do you think about that? How do you feel about that? Trying to kind of elicit seemingly more boasting. And he basically said, I'm saying what I care about is the reality of goodness, not the perception of it. And what I see all over the place is people who care about looking good while doing evil. And then he said, Donald Duck them. He used <laughs> the, the Fowler version, but he did aim it at Disney boss Bob Iger, mm-hmm. who had previously said stuff about why they pulled down of the advertising boycott at that place. So he was actually in the audience when he was directing this file at him. I didn't know he was in the audience. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. He'd spoken beforehand. That's oh, why he directed at him. Yeah, he was went, on the same stage yeah, earlier yeah. that day. <laughs> yeah. He went, hey, Bob, if you're there. And then just, <laughs> yeah, he said, go fuck yourself. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So just to unpack the weekend mumbo a bit, the, the quote there about the perception of goodness. Yeah. What, what spoke to you about that? Why do you think that that's something we can really th- go into? I think he's correct. And I think that it goes into this bigger thing of greenwashing, which is like the ACCC, the consumer watchdog. That's their big buzzword of the year. They're cracking down on greenwashing, which is all the companies that claim to be doing green things, but are actually doing brown things. Like they're the ones that are kind of saying that they use ocean ocean recycled plastics is a big one that a lot of companies claim to use, but in actual fact, you go, oh no, actually it was destined for the ocean, but we pulled it out before it got to the ocean. So that's technically ocean recycling. But of course, me and you were thinking of them dredging up plastics from mm. the actual ocean recycling it. So there's all these kind of linguistic tricks and you know turns of phrase and stuff and it's all that kind of subterfuge that the consumer watchdog are trying to cut down on and i mean elon musk was right that he is doing good for the environment in that specific regard he is blasting rockets into space as well which isn't the best he's put a constellation of satellites where there used to be stars he's done a lot of that kind of stuff he basically started open ai and we've seen what that's done for the Mona Lisa smiling art world. But yeah, I mean, he has a point. That's That was basically the crux of my Weekend Mumbo piece was there are, I think it was 57%, was it, that they found. So the ACCC did a sweep of all the Australian businesses and they hit like you know over 2,000, I think it was. And most of them are making these greenwashing claims. Most of them are saying they're more envi- environmentally sound than they are. And it's really hard to kind of legislate against. So these companies are just going to keep lying until they are caught out. And even when they're caught out, like unless the public really shames them or unless they get the maximum fine, which is $50 million, they're just going to keep doing it. So I guess team team Elon. Adam, what do you think? So against the backdrop of COP28, right, which is yeah. this week. and. Sure. We know that globally we are not moving fast enough. We are not investing nearly enough of the trillions annually that we need to be investing in the change to green energy. We're getting to approximately half 
on a good day around the world and that is reflective in Australia too. We're just not moving quick enough. And I don't think it's just semantics here or wordplay greenwashing. I think it is a really serious message. I do believe some of it's confusing because we haven't made it simple enough for companies and people to go just do this, but be really black letter law about it and be explicit. And so, of course, as we try and transition, so many people and companies go, oh, but can we just do it a bit slower? Can we just do it this way? And we don't go hard enough in making the conversions we need to or being explicit enough. So COP28, I'm I'm normally an optimist, but I'm not an optimist about what comes out of COP28. COP27 was a different disappointment in terms of the pace of change that we need to have. And so I'm not optimistic about COP28, but let's see. You know, we might get somewhere. But I love the fact that it happens every year. So at least every year we can go, okay, come on, let's bookmark this and do better and better and better and better. But the speed of that transition needs to change. It needs to be so much better. Like Nathan, are you on Team Elon now? No. No, I, I, <laughs> great respect for Nathan and his opinion, but no, I just can't cross that bridge. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry, I'm not there either. <laughs> All right, well, check out mumbrella.com.au for the full weekend, Mumbo. We'll be right back after the break. We're going to look into the International Cricket Council's new deal with Amazon Prime. Act fast. Super early bird rates for Mumbrella 360 end in just two weeks on December 13. Secure your spot now to access exclusive sessions featuring CMOs from industry leaders such as the iconic Menulog, World Vision Australia, Sanitarium, American Express, and more at discounted rates. Go to mumbrella.com.au forward slash mumbrella360 to save now. Welcome back to the Mumbrella cast with myself, Neil Griffiths, and not joined by Adam Lang for this particular segment, but instead I'm joined by Mumbrella journalist Kalula Welsh. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for letting me make an appearance. We told Adam to leave the room very abruptly for this. We didn't actually. This is a pre-recorded segment, so let's be honest. Oh, don't break the fourth wall. Um, look, so a, a big story happened early this week. Kalula, I wanted to bring you on because not only did you really write this story, you kind of found the news in the story. So uh, basically Amazon Prime announced that it had landed the exclusive broadcast rights for the ICC or the International Cricket Council. Um, there's a four-year deal spanning 448 live games from 2024 to 2027. So this marks the end to 15 years of ICC cricket on Foxtel and Nine. Um, clearly you understand that Foxtel did not opt to renew their respective deal. That was pretty big news in itself. You found the story in the story, which I'm very impressed by. Congratulations, by the way. Can you run us through this process when you saw this story and then you kind of led to the bigger piece? Sure can. Thanks, Neil. So I guess when we saw this, it came after the context of a, a lot of movement from our free-to-air industry, TV industry, um, to protect sports for our free-to-air networks. Um, obviously last week we had our communications minister, Michelle Rowland, introduce a new bill into parliament that um, along with some movement on the prominence side of things also promised to make some amendments to the anti-siphoning scheme. I think it's particularly interesting given that cricket has such a big following in Australia. We know that there's demand for free-to-air audiences. Just last month we had the final game of the ICC uh 
Cup. I guess I'm sorry, I'm not a, a big cricket fan, but for 2023, uh, and that game brought in more than a million viewers in Australia, which is, you know, anything that gets upwards of a million viewers at this point in time is seen as a pretty big win. Sure. So I decided to reach out to Bridget Fair, who's the CEO at Free TV, which is the peak industry body for the free to air broadcast TV industry. And she basically said, yeah, she'd love to comment on it. She obviously had a lot of strong feelings on that decision or on that deal, which, as you said, saw Amazon take the exclusive broadcast rights. And previously they did have, you know, partially a paywalled element with Foxtel and KO, but we did see the major games aired on Nine Network and that will be no longer. So anyone who wants to watch any of those games will now have to have an Amazon uh, Prime Video subscription. Yeah, so for people who don't know, this bill was introduced last week, right? So the anti-siphoning scheme essentially protects freeware TV and gives it prominence over the big giants, you know, your Netflixes um, and your Amazons. So when this story came through, I remember you said, wouldn't this be against what these laws say? And at the time I remember saying, oh, no, it's, it's Australia. It's fine. It's, they're Australian games. So currently we know the ICC games are not included in the anti-siphoning list. And that covers games played by the Australian team in Australia or New Zealand. But your comments or sorry, your chat with Bridget Fair, she told you this proves the point that the Giants are taking sporting rights away from Australia. Yeah, exactly. So as you said, the anti-siphoning scheme has a list and it pertains to, you know, most kind of big games that you would expect. So you've got like the AFL, you've got the Olympics and those kind of big ticket events that people want to tune into. And to be honest, I was a little confused as to why this wasn't covered. And I obviously don't know the minutiae of the deal who this has been offered to before by the ICC or what reasons Nine and Foxtel, you know, elected not to pursue further extension to this contract. But circling back to the bill that was introduced by Michelle Rowland last week, and this came to kind of mixed reviews, I guess, by um, the major networks. They were happy with some elements of the proposed bill and there were other elements that I think they feel, you know, more could have been done on. One of the proposed changes is that digital streaming services will not be allowed to acquire free-to-air rights to events before the commercial networks have been given a chance. So, you know, potentially under this new bill, if it is implemented, something like this won't be able to occur again. But I think the main concern here for the free-to-air networks is that sport is such a big get for them at the moment. Um, we know that sport is one of the highest rating content streams, I guess, for, you know, on free-to-air television, you know, along with reality as well and by handing these over to international streaming giants not only are you kind of from their perspective hindering competition but you're also locking Australians who don't have you know particularly an economic hardship um, you know in the in this economic headwinds that we've mm -hmm. been experiencing at the moment um, people who can't afford to have every streaming platform under the sun uh, can no longer tune into sports that are meaningful to them and and that they get something out of and a kind of a bit of a light in what has been on, you know on and off over the last few times a bit of dark times and so i think that just yeah there's two key elements there and i think what the free-to-air industry and free tv are going to continue to push for is for better protections here to make sure that these deals can't kind of go on you know without the right checks and balances 
in your conversation with Bridget, did did you talk much about the anti-siphoning rules as far as do we know when these laws are meant to be passed? Because she actually said to you, you know, this this Amazon deal proves or shows there's no time to waste in getting it done. Do we know when it's meant to be getting done? So we didn't speak about it in relation to this story specifically, but back last week when we were covering the new bill that Roland has introduced, she said that the legislation was a step forward and this legislation, you know, you know, in this conversation, it's assuming that it is going to pass, um, but it does have to get through parliament obviously first. But the legislation she, she said was an important step that the government had reaffirmed its commitment to live and free access to sporting events and proposed the expansion of the current anti-siphoning rules. But she said that that movement was incomplete. Speaking on the bill, she said, there is still an element of analogue rules in a digital world with the failure to include free streaming rights in the proposed model. Australians should be able to watch key sporting events, whether they choose to access our services through terrestrial broadcast or online streaming. And this was a view that was largely mirrored by, um, you know, the chief executives over at the at the the big networks, including uh, James Warburton at Seven and and spokespeople at Ten and SBS as well. Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting topic in the sense. Moving away from sport for a second, you know, Stan uh, recently broadcast the Country Music Awards. I think they did the Grammys last year. They did the Arias this year. The idea that you have to watch these great big fun events on a streaming service is pretty contentious, especially for people who simply don't want to get those services. So uh, Bridget's comments here, at least in my opinion, I think are pretty valid. Did you share the same sentiment? Uh, totally. I think I think that they definitely, you know, have a point. I think it's becoming increasingly um, more competitive, you know, especially international players with deep pockets and, you know, so much bargaining power. You know, there is an opportunity and there is a need to kind of level the playing field a little bit. And I think, you know, from a consumer perspective as well, yeah, it's it's an issue. And, and like anecdotally, myself and my friends, we always laugh about, you know, having to get, you know, the next streaming platform just to be able to watch one show that's come out and the streaming platforms just continue to grow and grow. And, and you know, you have to be spending upwards of $100 a month now if you want to have access to kind of the the best shows that are out there or, you know, that are getting the most success. And so it is becoming an issue of access for a lot of people. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how that evolves because, you know, with issues of access, is that going to affect viewership? Is that going to mean that these deals that people are signing are as valuable as they hope? If, you know, are people going to convert? Are people going to sign up to these platforms? It's yet to be seen but it will be interesting. Yeah, I'm sure this will ramp up over the summer. Kalila, thanks so much for coming by. Good work on this story and um, stay in touch, please. Let us know how this progresses. I will do. I know I would say I'll talk to you after the Christmas break because this is our second last episode, but, you know, outside of this podcast, I'll see you in like 10 minutes. So for the sake of the show, we'll see you next year. Cool. See you then. But I'll see you in 10 minutes. Sounds good. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks to Kalila for coming on for that segment and thanks for floating in space, Nathan Adam. I really appreciate that for a solid 10 minutes there. You did great. Um, that's all the time we have for in today's show. Thank you for coming on, Adam. It's a great pleasure, Neil. Thank you, Nathan. I think this is going to be the last show you'll be on this year as well. So we'll see you next year. I mean, I'll see you in 10 minutes, but I'll see you next year. Merry Christmas, everyone. And that about does it for us. 
Thank you for joining us. This is the Mumbrella Cast. Remember to hit follow on the podcast and head along to mumbrella.com.au for more info on everything we've talked about today. I'm Neil Griffiths. Thanks for your company and we'll see you next time. Don't miss Mumbrella ComsCon on 27th of March, 2024 for an exclusive exploration of the future of PR and communications. Connect with peers, stay ahead of trends and tackle challenges like AI, economic uncertainty and crisis comms. Act fast. Early bird pricing ends soon. Save your spot now. Book your ticket at mumbrella.com.au forward slash comscon.